0: Murray Edwards, much like our, I don't know who was the Oklahoma City uh, oligarch who brought oh, the Harold Ham. No, oh, no, he's the one that brought in one. the
1: brought in the uh, the thunder and then killed himself <laughs> then going 80, 80 miles an hour to a wall
0: the day before his like uh, he was supposed to testify or something. Yeah, but
1: he. It was apparently not a suicide, but it
0: was totally Aubrey McClendon. Aubrey McClendon. He was yeah. the one who brought. He stole the thunder from Seattle, right? Seattle. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, oh, yeah. similar. You got
1: your own. Yeah. What stole? You got your own uh, Aubrey McClendon in Calgary. Well,
0: no. He. I mean, Murray Edwards is just like local oil and gas billionaire, but uh. um, but no. Like, yes, officially mad about fucking billionaires because and the Flames owners because Murray Edwards owns something like eight hundred and sixty million dollars of CNRL stock. He very graciously only takes a dollar a year in base salary, but he clocks, CNR has quite a good dividend and every quarter he clocks $8 million in dividends In dividend payments. Yeah. And dividends are Mm -hmm. taxed uh, less than income. And there's all sorts of like tax advantages Mm -hmm. to declaring your income from dividends as opposed to income. So it's like, uh, I mean, when you look at the, the arena deal that they just got, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, 8 million a quarter, like that's, that's, that's the fucking mortgage payment on a new fucking arena. <laughs> like put a down payment on it like any other fucking person would on they were buying a house or building a, a new like capital expense anyways God. and then the other one of the other owners who's kind of viewed as this like kindly old white-haired man this like uh, son of russian immigrants um who's that alvin Leiben is his name Okay. he's got a bunch of like stuff named after him at the university of calgary he made his fortune a bunch of different ways he like owned a hotel and he did this he had this he had this investment company or whatever, but he was also the founder of something called care which is, uh, from what I can tell, the largest privately run extended, um, not extended care, but like long-term care, uh, company that exists in Canada. So like literally this ghoul has made his fortune, like sucking money out of the private system to take care of our elderly people. Um, Anyways, that's just two of the owners of the Flames that are oh, four, boy. but the other two are a little more, a little shadier. where they don't have their stuff, uh, in like public companies anymore. Like Alan Markin also, I think co-founded CNRL. And then, um, uh, this other guy, I can't remember his name. He has this, he's a trucking magnate. He's also one of the owners, but they took their company private like three years ago. So there's no, there's no details. You can't, you can't go into Cedar, uh, which is the like Edgar equivalent, and just like check the management and information circulars and like do all that digging like you can for, for public companies. Those are the four owners. Yeah, those are the four owners for for owners of the flames mm-hmm. so i'm just mad about that but that's yeah. not why we're here we ta- we did we did cover that in the last episode i don't know if okay. you had a chance to listen to it but no but i will go back and listen to it now yeah That'd yeah well i wish yeah. i had known and then what i know now we could have gotten some more rage out of it but kate jacobson was who um and it was really great and we um uh kate jacobson from the alberta advantage podcast was our guest mm. co-host for that segment but anyways we're ready to roll, we're ready to roll. Uh, mm-hmm. all right yeah okay. just, i mean it's good to just start yeah Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. Recording here from a dimly lit basement here in Treaty 6 territory, our guest co host today is the one, the only, Russell Cobb. Russell is an associate professor in modern languages and cultural studies here at the Univers- University of Alberta. He's also a writer. His work has appeared in The Guardian, The S- Slate, Slate, well done, Na- New York Times, and uh, This American Life. His uh, his This American Life story on Carlton Pierce, a popular preacher who fell out with the church, not because of the usual sex or drug or embezzlement scandals, but no, he fell out um, and fell out with the church because he lost his faith. And that story was not only a a This American Life episode, but also got made into a Netflix movie starring Chiwetel Ejiofor. He's also working on an intriguing book that will inform part of our discussion today, but let's not give it away all in the beginning. Russell, welcome to the progress report.
1: Hey, thanks Duncan. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah. So, okay, the Slate the Slate article. Was it was it a Slate pitch, pitch style uh-huh. article or what was it? Were you entire re-
1: no actually it was actually a well it was a slate pitch I was gonna say it was a, it was a it was a pretty boring book review but it definitely had a slate pitch angle to it because I re- if I remember correctly what I was trying to say was that all of this uh, fretting about the white evangelical takeover of the Republican Party was not that big a deal because evangelicals, <laughs> If you follow them, and it fo- ties back into my story on um, Carlton Pearson, if you follow them, is they 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 get so picky about dogma that they will just destroy themselves. But um, yeah, that was pretty slate pitchy because I didn't really uh, didn't know they, no, they, no. they, they got did, right they got right behind happen. Trump. <laughs> yeah, they got they, right behind Trump despite they, him they being sure did. a
0: terrible Christian. Um, I mean, the other, I mean, so your Slate article was not about how like puppy males are actually good or how Nickelback is, is, a, is an underrated <laughs> band, but, <laughs> but was in fact a, a legitimate piece of like literary criticism. It was,
1: su- was supposed to be. Yeah. Although I do think, I, I think someone needs to go do Slate pitch on how flip-flops are actually going to save uh, Western civilization since the most emailed story of all time on Slate is that, is that takedown of people wearing flip-flops.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Flip-flops engender a lot of feelings in people. Uh, I can't be, I I, I don't get it, but I
1: I, I really don't care. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Exactly. Okay. So the reason you're here today is not to talk about your slate pitch or even your movie, but um, a wider discussion about (sighs) where you're actually from. So. Alberta often gets compared to
1: Texas, right? This is the kind of really Yeah, the easy... Texas of Canada. And yeah. I keep hearing it all the time.
0: It's the, it's the really like simple easy comparison to make, or, you know. There's like big hats, there's cowboys, there's lots of oil, there's lots of capitalism. But really, the- and
1: uh, ranches, cows, yeah, and uh, meat, ra- yeah, beef. Yeah, meat, beef and uh, and hardcore conservatism. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. But but Texas is really its own freaking country. Right. At the end mm. of the day, it, it dwarfs Alberta in almost
1: every way. Well, it dwarfs ev- almost every other state in every way. Yeah.
0: So so you say there's a there's an economic doppelganger state in the United States that more directly compares to
1: Alberta. What what state are we talking about here? Yeah, I make the case that actually Oklahoma is the most is the closest parallel to a U.S. state in Alberta, uh, and for a lot of reasons. I mean, they're they're essentially they're roughly the same size. Alberta's a little bit bigger in population, but you have two cities that control the economic and um, cultural life of, of the place, uh, and but there are these things that we ha- that that people think that uh, Texas and o- Alberta have in common again the cowboy culture the um much more right wing than the rest of the country there are other things as well oil uh, oil was was what really made Oklahoma Oklahoma um and yeah so there's all kinds of there's all kinds of comparisons, all kinds of parallels.
0: And you're an Okie as well.
1: Right? And, I, and I'm, yeah, and I have this unique position of being being from Oklahoma, being an Okie and, and living here and um, seeing so many of the parallels that, you know, often I'll just put up a, a photo of like landscape in Oklahoma and uh, people can't decide whether it's Oklahoma or Alberta, because there's a lot of sort of wheat fields and, and, and pump jacks and you name it, right? Big skies, pump jacks, you oh, know, yeah. agriculture. No, I, mm-hmm. I, I could totally see it. So you said the two cities that
0: dominate. So these are these are Tulsa and Oklahoma City, right? Right, right. And so the, the, the comparison is Calgary and Edmonton. So there's a strong like Springfield, Shelbyville vibe
1: <laughs> there yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. And I'd definitely be Springfield, man, because oh, I don't course. like Oklahoma Oklahoma City. Yeah. Uh, and just the same way, you know, uh, your, your beloved Calgary, I ain't got no time for that. Yeah, yeah, uh, I can, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am actually, and given, and given what you just told me about the rich people and the the breaks that they get, and the, the what happened with the swindle that they, they just pulled with the new arena, I like it even less.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm actually from Calgary uh, originally. I know, that. I, I know I, but I, I moved up to Edmonton nine years ago. Actually, I, I'm actually a true Edmontonian now because I did go to uh,
1: Heritage Festival over the weekend. Well, congratulations! I still haven't gone,
0: and I, and um, it is it is a little uh, terrifying experience. It's just like so many people, <laughs> so much meat on a stick. But I did have. Fried dough from a country. I did have meat on a stick from a country. Good. Um, my daughter freaked out.
1: It was great. I had a great experience. It was that, really hot. That's, those are all reasons why I don't go. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so back to Oklahoma. So walk us through the like the political situation in Oklahoma and, and especially I, th- I find that Alberta and Canada typically are just like five to 10 years behind Canadian or sorry, five to 10 years behind American politics. And we are kind of really just pulling up and coming up behind what Oklahoma's already done,
1: right? Right, yeah, and I mean, that's another thing that Oklahoma and Alberta very much have in common. I mean, until this sort of NDP interregnum, um, this sort of rule of a conservative party very much parallels what happened with Oklahoma's is the Republican takeover of the state house is is complete. Um, all statewide elected uh, offices are, are held by Republicans and have been that way for a while, and um, so they really got carte blanche to to carry out an experiment. The past, you know, starting when the the last Democratic governor um, uh, gave I think it was two thousand seven. We switched from um, uh, to a to a Republican governor, Mary Fallon took over, and then they had the the both. Uh, the both uh, sides of the of the state legislature to basically do what they wanted so they they got to they got to just go whole hog into uh, uh, to cut taxes cut everything that you could possibly think of and um you know with the with the promise that it would all pay off for people because Again, like Alberta, uh, oil and gas would there would be an incentive to drill, more jobs created, uh, l- less corporate taxes, more investment, more take home pay, and everyone would be happier. And it, it was it was a, a complete well. I don't even have to. I mean, I don't have to tell you uh, or really anyone that be listening to this podcast how that situation turned out. But it was it, it turned out so badly. So badly that Oklahoma, which has been dominated by the Republican Party and is also considered one of the most apathetic states, and actually the single most apathetic state in the in the Union in terms of voter turnout and civic engagement, you saw this massive walkout by teachers that surprised everyone, and it was and the support for the teachers was was overwhelming, uh, and that was not just the teachers themselves, but the support staff for schools. And they basically brought the state to a standstill. They occupied the legislature and uh, achieved some small victories and really a moral victory as well.
0: And this was part of a wave of teacher strikes in the United States, especially in these like really um, like down in the dumps, Republican run states for the most part. Right? They like were. West Virginia, Oklahoma. There's a couple other I'm forgetting. Arizona, that, yeah. Kentucky.
1: Yeah. So those those. Yeah, exactly. Those those states where the Republicans had such a free hand to do what they wanted, they they were the places that had the most the most supportive and the largest walkouts of teachers. And Oklahoma was one of the first ones, wasn't it? I think it, it was right after I think it was the second one. I think it was after West Virginia. I'm not totally sure.
0: And it was just yeah. a case of like I'm I'm mad as hell I'm not gonna take it anymore, right? Like it wasn't it wasn't like leadership of the teachers' unions down no. in Oklahoma, where like we're going to war over this over X issue. It was like teachers are are what having to beg and plead for school supplies and are yeah. getting paid thirty thousand dollars a year or whatever. Well, was, there was right?
1: there were a number of things. And yes, I mean it was that's one of the things I think is super fascinating about it, is it was totally grassroots. It was some guy on Facebook, literally, some guy on Facebook, going, "Our teachers' union really isn't doing anything. Uh, we've got to do something." Because one of the things that was happening was there was a massive teacher exodus from the state. So, and all of these things, it's important to keep in mind that with this Republican revolution of these tax cut revolution, it, it 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 just things went from bad to worse. So, teachers started leaving for other states where teacher pay was higher. And then this had another effect, which was that um, you, they had to bring in unaccredited teachers. So all kinds of teachers who have no accreditation, no training whatsoever, get emergency certification to become teachers. Some of the things that happen are truly horrific. Um, there were cases of, of unaccredited teachers who came in who just had no training whatsoever. They were abusive sexually and physically to students. Um, and then they cut the the school week short. So in 75% of the school districts at one point, school, school weeks were down to four days a week, which also made things work, worse on working parents, because all of a sudden now you have to decide whether you go to your job or you stay home with your kids. So things just went from bad to worse, and it really became a, a terrible situation and And, and yeah, and people rose up and they literally occupied the state house. They demanded to see legislators. And I remember one guy in particular said, I've, I've just, I'm not used to actually having to meet my constituents. Like, I just don't (laughs) do this. What, who are these people? And they, they had all kinds of crazy interviews where the, the legislators would say things like, you know, if y'all, y'all are behaving like a bunch of teenagers, um, you know, that you're not getting, you're just throwing a hissy fit and no no. na, na. na, na and, and it was just unreal. I mean, actually, I was the governor that said that, that they're like <laughs> a bunch of spoiled teenagers that not, they're not getting the car they want. This is from the woman, uh, Mary Fallon, who, you know, is just like gave away hundreds of millions of dollars in tax breaks to the oil companies and cutting the gross production tax and the people of Oklahoma got literally nothing for it. Ah, now we're getting into it. So that's
0: that's mm-hmm. really the like, you know, Oklahoma is just five, 10 years ahead of Alberta, right? Because mm-hmm. Alberta is, is well on its way to cutting corporate taxes, to having the lowest corporate tax cut in the country by a wide, wide margin. Mm-hmm. It's funny you bring up the teacher exodus. One thing that gets brought up all the time, I know a bunch of people who are either nurses or um, work for the teachers or for the nurses union. Mm-hmm. And under Ralph Klein, similar similar concept, similar thing that happened is that like, conditions were so bad under Ralph Klein that there was essentially an exodus of a generation of nurses from Alberta and that the nursing profession essentially had to spend the next 20 years after Klein, like, f- figuring out how to fix this generational gap in its workforce, and... Um, but again that's our that's that's some that's some prior neoliberal bullshit. I mean oh, we're just yeah. going to get another cycle of Well, humanity, it, it keeps
1: cycling back, right? I mean it's not like once this power they, they consolidate power. It's not like they're going to sort of throw throw you a bunch of crumbs.
0: And it wasn't just the yeah. education system too, right? From it was the, it was the entire social safety net that was essentially was slashed to bits by, oh, by the government. Oh, it's
1: it's horrific. I mean there's there's so many things. I mean one that I actually had personal experience with because my mom was um she was uh, she was ill and in a long term care facility was was met. was Medicaid. You know, Medicaid is the is the, uh, the health safety net of last resort for Americans, because if you're absolutely totally poor, Medicaid will step in. But Medicaid, the rates that Medicaid was paying out to hospitals and nursing homes and such was also slashed. So then you have these hospitals and nursing homes going, OK, we want to accept Medicaid because we want to take care of our indigent, but. Medicaid is paying, paying so little that we can't pay our staff, so we're not going to accept Medicaid. So you, like I had this experience to go to a nursing home and be like, okay, I need, you know, it looks like at some point she's gonna need Medicaid because she's gonna run through her, her savings. I mean, these things cost like $300 a day. Uh, and which ones will take Medicaid? Well, there's just these few and they're terrible. You can see their ratings. they're the They're the bottom, they're like, all kinds of of social issues. So you're getting this, so you get this two tier system, right? Which I think really worries me about Alberta. I mean, as, as an Okie, like I come in here and I feel like the social, like from my perspective, it's like the social safety net is okay. You know, it could be better, but it's okay. Because from what I come, what I come from, it's like these two completely different societies, right? Like there's the, there's the people who can afford private school, and those private schools are quite good. And then there's the public schools, which are just getting worse and worse. There's uh, private Medicare. There's private nursing homes, which are quite good. And then there's the rest, and it's just and those get worse and worse. And to me, what I see, is, what I see coming, right? I, I see, I see all of that coming here, mm. and it really freaks me out. And I don't understand why people aren't, 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 uh, you know, like just listen to people like back there a lot of them who are even republicans or independents uh that aren't at the super wealthy end of the spectrum and they're and they're they're shocked they're ter- they're terrified of it you know they may not be the most engaged ideologically committed progressives but when they see it and when they feel it they know it's wrong
0: yeah, it's it is scary to see kind of what Jason Kenney has for the his plans are for you know our education system, mm-hmm. our social safety net, and it's and <clears throat> you know I do believe I do firmly believe that he is like a true ideologue when it comes to this stuff, and that he, he sure wants to, he wants to tear it all down and start from scratch and and really kind of you know Margaret Thatcher 2.0 here in Alberta. Um, you know one of the other things that that is kind of one of the interesting parallels between Alberta. And Oklahoma is its relationship to its to the indigenous people who are originally that from that's true. There. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. and that uh, Oklahoma has um, simply just like a, a brutal and kind of like and then and then extremely intertwined history
1: with its indigenous folks. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the like a, the, a lot of the stuff that's going to be in your book is, is, is about the like land swindle stuff, right?
1: Yeah, it's about and, and again, yeah, like you said, it's uh, has a lot to do with indigenous sovereignty and oil. Um, this is just—it's it, something that I don't think we were—I was never taught in school, certainly—and it's, so, it's not something that the state celebrates it's, or even really recognizes. But really, the 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 very short précis of the state of the birth of the state of Oklahoma is that uh, pre-1907, the place was Indian territory. It was. Uh, The place, it was by treaty, it was the place where all the tribes that had been displaced from the southeast, so the five quote unquote civilized tribes, the Cherokee, Creek, Choctaw, etc., were all removed there and they were granted by treaty. That would be the Indian territory would be theirs for as long as the waters would run and the grass was green, etc. Once oil was discovered, all of that was uh, no. We're going to have to have that too. Actually, it's right? ours now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was a gr- that was a great idea. But it appears that you have oil there. Are you saying and- that a settler colonial state broke its treaty, Russell? <laughs> surprise, surprise! Right. It's always like the, ju- the justifications are always so. You know, they they always bend over backwards. So I'm really, I'm really the what I'm working on now, and, and this is in my book is. Um, about the other logic of that, right? Because I think it's so current. It's not like, it's not, I think people have this idea that it was the Wild West and cowboys and Indians shooting each other off horseback. No, this actually took place in courtrooms. It took place in the state legislature. It took place in in oil company boardrooms where they decided, okay, here are these major oil fines. We don't even know how much oil is there, but we know a lot of oil is there. What is, what is a way that we can get at it without like, starting another sort of battle of, you know, whatever, like an armed, an armed insurrection. I mean, United States Mm -hmm. and Canada are both, you know,
0: settler colonial States, you know, based on land theft and genocide. Mm -hmm. But, but when you get to the, like those, it's when you get to the edge of the frontier, right? Like when you get to the Albertas and the Oklahomas, that that stuff is, it's it's much more recent history. And it also is just kind of, its brutality is much more evident. And much more um, memorable to even just the the people who experienced it. Yeah, right.
1: It's much more. It's much more recent. And I think because, and also I think because of our. Uh, our, our oil economies, right, is tied up in natural resources and the extraction industries. Whereas probably the sort of you know the settler colonialism of, of two or three hundred years ago uh, had a different history, had a different impetus. Whereas this one is all about about an industry that is still so much driving our economy and driving some of the, so many of the divisions that we see. That um, it feels very current. One thing where I, Oklahoma also has a, I think
0: a very interesting leading the way where Oklahoma is perhaps leading the way when it comes to Albert on this is intertwining the oil industry with uh, Christianity.
1: Yeah, yeah and right. So, and
0: so we have I mean the ethical oil argument hasn't really made its way to God is good. Uh, but but it it's kind of it kind of undercur- undergirds it and underpins it, right? We were blessed with this natural resource we must develop it in order yes. to you know enrich ourselves and our people but
1: and that we're somehow just this like enlightened people we are exceptional. That we'll, we will be good stewards of it in ways that those brown people won't be, yeah, yeah
0: exactly right and mm-hmm. and so I mean the state government in Oklahoma is extremely intertwined with the oil and gas industry. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the state, um, the provincial government here in Alberta is extremely intertwined with the oil and gas industry. But one thing that stood out to me when researching this episode was really um, just how intertwined both the state, well, just maybe just how much more religious the state of Oklahoma seems to be. Perhaps that's the kind of one difference that, that stands out to me between Oklahoma and Alberta is just how like, uh, kind of state Christianity seems to just be so de facto intertwined with the state of Oklahoma, the government of Oklahoma, and the kind of culmination of this does seem to be, you know, Governor Mary Fallon proclaiming, you know, October 13th to be uh,
1: Oil Field Prayer Day.
0: Yes, Oil Field Motherfucking Prayer Day.
1: <laughs> in that, actually, technically, first, first, it was it was Christian. What a Christian Prayer Day? Okay, because it was going to be a specifically Christian prayer. That wasn't woke. That was that was exclusion. And exclusion and, and, and and somebody said, you know, Governor Fallon, could you at least include the Hindus and the Jews? <laughs> Maybe not the Muslims, but Hindus and Jews. She was like. Phew. Fine. <laughs> we'll drop the
0: Christian comment. Okay. So the official proclamation is, is is hilarious and kind of speaks to what we yeah. were talking about, right? Here it is. Oklahoma is blessed with an abundance of oil and natural gas, allowing the state to be a prosperous producer of these valuable resources. Oklahoma recognizes the incredible economic community and faith-based impact demonstrated across the state by oil and natural gas companies. Uh, Oklahomans were urged to thank God for the blessings created by the oil and natural gas industry and to seek his wisdom and ask for protection.
1: His his wisdom. I love it. And and patriarchal God, no less. Of course his wisdom. Mm -hmm. And
0: then wasn't there like a 5.6 magnitude, like, Earthquake that happened. Oh yeah, the same day? yeah. I right. said
1: so the very same day. Yeah, in Cherokee, Oklahoma. Yeah, um, and yeah. five point
0: six is no like s- that's actually a pretty substantial.
1: Yeah, earthquake. yeah. Well, that 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 year, uh, two thousand seventeen, for the first time ever, um, Oklahoma actually had m- registered more earthquakes than California, and that is almost exclusively due to a horizontal drilling, frac- fracking, etc. Yeah, they're yeah. not on any kind of. Uh, oh no, plate or no, anything. no, no not at all. Yeah. There's
0: there's an, there's a there's another quote from this. Um, Washington Post story on um, the Oilfield Prayer Day that I do have to say here. It's from Jeff Hubbard, a member of the Oilfield Christian Fellowship, which is the oil patch chaplains who are a part of, they were a part of the festivities around Oilfield Prayer Day. We have a saying, the oil field trickles down to everyone.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed it does. And, uh, and
0: and you have this thesis that you've kind of brought up here. Like you've seen kind of what happened in, in Oklahoma in when you know the, the Republican governor took over the Republicans essentially took control of everything and they had this essentially two-step process to kind of mm-hmm. like maintain and build their control of, mm-hmm. of the state and what was
1: that yeah well the first the, the first step is you just promise the world right you you say well because people are because because our understanding of history is so shaped by a sort of petro a white petro Christian worldview, people don't really understand the the historical background. So when someone comes in and says we're going to deregulate and we're going to put money in your pocketbooks, and we're going to drill and we're going to jobs, lo- yeah, jobs, you know, plentiful investment, ah, you know, people are like yes, and uh, let's do this and. um, and uh, yeah, so that's sort of the first step is you, you make all these promises and you think. And then when they don't, when, when inevitably, right, because they're by design not going when, to. When capitalism fails <laughs> to fail. produce
0: bounty for everyone. <laughs> for everyone.
1: Yes. Um, surprise, again. Um, uh, then you have to find a way to make excuses, to blame someone. Who's to blame, right? You have to find an external enemy. Well. Find, that exter- uh, find that external enemy. So who's that external enemy going to be? It used to be communism. And back when this sort of petro, uh, petro-Christian petro worldview emerged, and by the way, uh, uh, Alberta has an interesting chapter in petro-Christian worldviews. I think some of the f- founders of tar sands were very uh, fundamentalist Christians. Mm. Um, you know, in this sort of belief that sort of we're anointed with this oil and it's your bounty and it's a Christian duty to protect it and extract it. Um, Anyway, when that doesn't trickle down, um, then you, yeah, you find you find an enemy. So you know, in the Cold War, it was it was communism, um, and now, well, we've been you know kind of rooting around for an enemy, and I think we found it: Emigrants, right? Yeah. Or yeah. Like
0: people coming up from from Mexico, Mexico or America. even
1: or yeah, or uh, or, you know, <laughs> Muslims. I mean, we <laughs> I can't I just I, I can't help but laugh. It's just so ridiculous that at one point Oklahoma passed a, a state constitutional amendment um, banning the use of Sharia law in Oklahoma courtrooms. They wanted to they passed <laughs> it as an amendment, which is hard to do. Right. You have to have a supermajority to do it. And they they knew immediately that is clearly in violation of the First Amendment restricting laws around religion. Mm-hmm. You're basically saying one religion can't. So one, no one had ever used Sharia law. It's just, it's just fake. It's mm-hmm. like ridiculous. And two, it is clearly unconstitutional. And so it was struck down by the courts like in no time. Um, but that wasn't the point. The point is that we found that we found a foreign we found an other. We found the other. So and even though Oklahoma isn't
0: on the border, there's still enough of a of a population of immigrants that they were like, "We found our bad guys. We found our enemy."
1: Well, one of the things that's just totally mystifying to me, and this you can maybe you can tell me, talk to this to me. Uh, we can talk about this about in terms of Alberta, because I think Alberta has a similar thing going on. Um, what's mystifying is that. The immigrants drive economic growth in Oklahoma, such as it is. I mean, the Western part of the state was like the, the heart of the Dust Bowl. What do you hear about like the Dust Bowl and the Okies and Steinbeck and all that stuff? That part of the state has come back in recent years due to like massive factory farms, wind power solar that things that require a lot of labor and that labor has come almost exclusively from mexico and central america these people like some of the counties out there in the panhandle of oklahoma like in the really far west part of the state they are majority Hispanic, and they are driving the economic growth of the of the of the state. So what I like it just seems so strange to me is to see the 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 party of of capitalism of of corporate of corporate America um, also ginning up uh, animosity towards the one group that seems to be. Um, capable of driving some sort of economic growth i, I yeah
0: i, I mean I, tell me
1: about it.
0: <clears throat> capitalism does have its inherent contradictions okay so i mean i think you bring this up the uh, you know uh-huh. they found their enemy in oklahoma i think mm-hmm. jason Kenney has clearly found his enemy his external enemy here in alberta right and it's foreign-funded environmentalists who are spreading you know disinformation skia about um you know our lovely lovely and glorious oil sands um this, again the, the, he's following what happened in oklahoma almost mm-hmm. to a T, right promise the moon find an external enemy he didn't even have to wait for the economy to be bad to find an external enemy he built it into his campaign
1: right yeah yeah and then but what what happens what's going to happen when he when the war room runs its course or whatever the public they put inquiry, out their you know, and, calls, they, calls and they me and, in and, and they do all this 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 blue ribbon panel and they find they find all these things and then and then what you know at what point do people i always just it just astounds me at what point do people sort of figure out this is all just a big swindle like they're just being lied to like when do you figure that out
0: if there's one maxim i want to impart to all our <laughs> listeners is that conservative politics is a grift but um but yeah i mean ultimately it's a huge grift and and I mean, what is the next external enemy after foreign-funded environmentalists? Right. Is well, that's that's where I,
1: that's where I think we circle back to what you said a few minutes ago, and that I've been kind of stewing over for a while about um, about about Canada being five to ten years behind the U.S. in terms of political movements, because to me, that's what comes next. Right. Is immigrants. Right. Is and, and you're already seeing this. I mean, get this in, in this my, my sundry is is the uptick and. Outright racist views uh, in Canada towards uh, visible minority immigrants. Yeah, we got our yellow vests and our Maxime Bernier, our People
0: Party of Canada cranks. <clears throat> right now, they're not in power, and and right. and right now, you know, the Conservative Party is tiptoeing around, you know, that line and that ideology. But it's yeah, if we're five to ten years behind, it's not extreme. It's not very. Uh, it's not a very happy place we're headed to. One thing that I think we got to close on here is that this isn't all just doom and gloom, right? And that that there is a way forward here when it comes to how we can appeal to people to not only like inspire social movements, but also bring about positive electoral change. And that is that left-wing politics must broadly appeal to people who regular working class people. And when I talk about regular working class people, broadly, that doesn't mean white men in hard hats with lunch pails, (laughs) Broadly, that means women, it means people of color, it means people working for less than like 15 or well, less, either, either around or, you know, quite a close to minimum wage. That's what the working class is these days. And and so a, like a broad, muscular left-wing populism is kind of what has to take its place, right? right.
1: If, we, if we're to have
0: any hope of actually combating this
1: absolutely i mean yeah i mean i think what you said is just so important it's it's so it's it's crazy that we hear this stuff about the working class and and the sort of the image that pops in people's head is is exactly this white man in a hard hat i mean it's the people that are suffering are generally like women families uh, immigrant populations, like the, those, are the people. Yeah, and you connect to those issues. I mean, I think that, that that's one of the lessons of Oklahoma is in, in the victories that that did come out of <clears throat> post teacher walkout and the midterm, the midterm victories of some Democrats, uh, some of them actually quite progressive Democrats, was that's what they spoke to. Is just. They actually didn't talk about Trump and there's one in particular I've been following and I spent some time with her and she is an ex homeless. She was a a lesbian woman who was homeless, um, uh, then retrained herself to become a social worker and uh, won her seat in a very, very conservative district in suburban Tulsa. And I just like, how can a, you know a homeless lesbian woman win in a in a district that went by thirty points Donald Trump? And she told me she said, well, one thing I did is I never mentioned Donald Trump. I just went and talked to people about about Medicaid, about Medicare, about education, about um, minimum wage. And once I just talked to these pe- these people about you know basic fairness, right, economic justice and social justice without using the buzzwords. You know, it was like uh, absolutely resonated with them, and this, yeah.
0: this is the thing. I mean, yeah. Melanie Thomas, you, you, University of Calgary academic, has has done a lot of work on this, and it's worth talking about, which is that conservatism in Alberta or even in in Oklahoma is largely an identity. You know, it's, it's a, it's, it's an identity. It's not a coherent set of political hmm. beliefs. Interesting. And people see the signifiers of, of the social identity and they cling to them. But like when you, again, when you talk about the ideas, when you talk about fairness, when you talk about justice, when you talk about, um, you know, people having the economic freedom to go to the doctor and not be bankrupt, to go get their teeth fixed and not have to worry about going bankrupt, to go to, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. go yeah. to yeah. a therapist and have their fucking, you know, uh, worries about the world like listen to and not worry about having to go bankrupt people will respond to
1: that they sure will they sure will and i so yeah i mean we talked about would you say a graft or a grift of the uh the conservative grift The conservative grift is is to basically constantly like find a way to change the conversation so you don't talk about that right because if you do it's clear they're not on, they're not giving you anything. They're not giving you anything that's going to help with
0: that. They're not materially improving your life. No. They're just giving you, you know, a reason to be angry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, think, I think that's a great way to close it. Um, one thing that uh, we do want to mention briefly about Oklahoma is that you are working on a book about Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. What What is the title? What's coming out? About
1: it? It's called uh, The Great Oklahoma Swindle, Race, Religion, and Lies in America's Weirdest State. And it will be out... Uh, March first, 2020. It's published by Bison Books.
0: There you go. March first, 2020. Mm-hmm. This yeah. very interesting book on Oklahoma is coming out. I mean, one thing that I think you cover off in your book, and that is worth maybe just circling back for one last one last thing on this subject is. These people can be convinced, and and from what I understand, Oklahoma does have a, a relatively radical political history. It does. Um, you know, Eugene Debs, a socialist candidate,
1: did did quite well. He, that was his best, his single best state in nineteen fourteen uh, was Oklahoma.
0: And like you know, the the Canadian cooperative, um, the CCF was created here in Calgary, hmm. here in Alberta, right? Like, like radical ideas quite often and and radical political movements quite often start out on the edge of the frontier they don't start in like the densely populated urban political centers and 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 so we we've had like 80 years or 100 years since eugene deb's 80 years since the ccf of like you know this radical socialism past has kind of been sapped from our our living memory but it you know these movements are coming back, and it's and it's time to think about it's. T- you can't just write off Oklahoma. You can't just write off Alberta.
1: That is that is a really good point. Yeah, I think that's the thing that's always important for me is when I hear people talk about oh that's red America or whatever's flyover states and ah, just let them secede. I think it's it's crazy. It's I mean that is not the point. The point is to reengage and to rethink and also reexamine your own history. Right. I mean there's some of the most like incredible radical thinkers came out of Oklahoma. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next up, uh, we've got
0: an extremely troubling story that I think seems to have passed uh, Alberta Media by, and large the large portion of Alberta Buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was mentioned in a July 11th CBC story with the headline, Ontario's Teacher's Plan Hedge Shares in Company that Runs Controversial U.S. Migrant Detention Centers. And just to point, we go further on, when, when we're talking about controversial U.S. migrant detention centers, we are talking, in fact, about concentration camps and that, uh, I mean, that's just kind of the cowardice of the CBC. No,
1: right, I know, yeah. That is some controversial, okay. like, it's not controversial, it's dehumanizing. Yeah, Come on, be specific with your headlines.
0: I mean, it's criminal, it's it's unethical, <laughs> it's immoral. Um, but the important part to us here in Alberta wasn't the fact that the Ontario's Teachers Plan had shares in, this, in these companies. What's more relevant to us is that the Alberta Investment Management Corporation, AIMCO, currently has shares in those companies companies that are making money off of running concentration camps. Here's the relevant portion from the story. The Alberta Investment Management Corporation, AIMCo, which manages many public sector pensions and other government funds, has shares in both GeoGroup and civic worth a total of about $4.8 million as of March 31st, according to its filings. So I went back and double-checked these filings, um, you know, the SEC has something called EDGAR, which, which allows you to kind of go back and check this, uh, all the available evidence shows that AIMCO uh, has. Uh, I went back and checked the math, it was $3.8 million, it doesn't matter. Millions of dollars worth of shares in these two companies, Core Civic and GeoGroup. These are private prison companies that are making their fortune off of, r- partially off of running these concentration camps. You know, AIMCO, we should probably offer a bit more context on AIMCO as well. It's a crown corporation created in 2008 that manages 31 different pension, endowment, and government funds. And they essentially, like, they run all the pensions is the kind of their biggest job. Hmm. Russell, have you heard about this? And and you have a kind of a, I hear in our brief chat before you, like, had a personal connection to this too,
1: don't yeah, you? Yeah, I, 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 I heard about it because a colleague of mine brought it to my attention and said, we, ne- we at least... Step one: We need to find out how much of our pension at at the U of A is actually invested in these companies, and just trying to get the information. um, You know, the the my colleague was like basically blocked from getting the information. So then we had to she had to organize a petition, and led to a very long chain of emails. Um, and then a lot of hemming and hawing and hedging about you know what was actually being invested. They, 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 they like didn't really want us to find out, but eventually we um, did find out. So we got an email that indeed um, there were investments
0: in the, the University of Alberta professor's pension that you're a part of. You you're, you're right. personally not yeah. not just Amco gl- globally or just,
1: not in the things that Amco manages altogether, but your yeah. Pension. But in these in these. Um, yeah, in, in these in these particular um, companies, and I'll I'll just read you like a little update I got from her yesterday, is that she um, that yeah the it was the U A P P so that's our pension plan is partially managed by Aimco, um, but and did hold shares in Geo Group and and Core Civic, but Aimco has since divested because um, so many of us raised raised a stink. and that's a great victory. But who knows if AIMCO or the other investment management companies for our pension has stock in different for-profit prisons.
0: Okay. Well, that's interesting to hear. So I've reached out to AIMCO, okay. uh, um, to their corporate communications people, over the past week and even a bunch of times um, before recording here, and I haven't heard back. So I would be curious to know what the exact status of their investments in these concentration can companies is because... Um, uh-huh we need to fucking stop it at the end of the day right right. like the details coming out about the conditions in these concentration camps are enough to make you physically ill you know children
1: as young as seven or eight sleeping on concrete floors you know being denied soap and toothpaste oh they're terrible they're terrible i mean and and to tie again to go back to oklahoma they were going to send them to fort sill oklahoma which was established basically as a concentration camp. It's where they put the last Native American prisoners, they put the uh, the Japanese detain- detainees during World War II. It is a brutal dehumanizing facility. Um, first, but, you know, again, people protested and they put that plan on hold. And, yeah, again, like with some good news, Duncan, like I just think that like <clears throat> I was just reading over the an email that we got from from the uh, the director of the pension plan um saying that that they had because of these concerns quote unquote concerns I love how they're always like just using the just the most lame language um that um that they they after a careful consideration aimco notified us yesterday they had decided to divest from these investments. Interesting. So well, I think, yeah. we, I think we may have broken some news here. That is, yeah. Yeah. yeah so the there, you, there you go. That was, that was as of, that was as, that was actually yesterday. That's what I heard. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, yeah.
0: So, so I, I also think it's worth having discussion that I don't want to diminish the terrible record that Canada has when dealing with, you know, what they're, you know, quote, calling irregular migrants or people who are seeking asylum. Canada has an extremely problematic record of detaining these people um, for months, years on end, sometimes without any type of hearing, without any type of legal recognition or standing. <clears throat> you know, we have... Uh, a history of treating people just as poorly in the United States as they have in Canada. We just haven't like industrialized it and privatized it. (laughs) Like they've done it in the United States for
1: profit industry.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like there just isn't any, like your pension isn't invested in Canadian concentration camps. That's all still just that. Those are union government jobs still at this point. (laughs) At least I assume. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like it's worth noting that this only happened that this pressure that was put on. Mm So, so Ontario's teacher plan, um, they had shares. They divested. The Canada Pension Plan, they had shares. They divested. There was a there was a campaign from an organization called Lead Now and another organization called Some of Us um, that was extremely effective in putting pressure on to um, onto the Canadian Pension Plan to divest of these shares. And I've spoken with uh, those folks, and I've kind of learned a bit of what they learned and learned a bit of what they did and how they accomplished their goals. So I'm going to keep looking. Into this, just to confirm whether Amco has really divested from this or not. But if they haven't, I think it's I think we're obligated to kind of move forward with a campaign to put pressure, to gather people together, to talk about what to do next, and to put pressure on Amco to divest from these things. Okay. Well, I mean that's a nice little bit of encouraging news. Um, so finally our final part of the show it's called sundries it's really cribbed from our newsletter the progress report also called the progress report the best goddamn political newsletter in alberta if you are not subscribed to it subscribe to it russell is subscribed to it it it's
1: good i was just telling i was just saying on the way in it's like you know you get those all those email digests every day and like 90 percent of them you're like done 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 that one i always read there you
0: go you get it monday morning (laughs) It's really good, Jim story. Our, our producer and editor writes it. It's fantastic, but uh, this is a time to bring up the kind of short little hits that we didn't kind of have over the course of the show. And uh, Russell, what do you got?
1: Yeah, so I just I, I'm, I'm I'm I hate to be go to a really dark place. Um, we had a semi positive note, but I'm just so troubled by the the shooting in El Paso. It's just it's just really on my mind. It's just really bothering me, and it's um, it made me think about like what what the you know the the connection to the um, to Donald Trump, um, considering that the shooter really mimicked a lot of his his rhetoric about invasions, Hispanic invasions, um, and also made me think about what's happening in Canada. Um, I found this study that shows that for the first time that I could find that it, Canadians in 2019 actually expressed more concern about visible minority immigration than immigration in general. So like in 20 years ago, there was concern about immigration taking away jobs, but it wasn't necessarily brown people, brown people. Right. But now now for the first time, you see more people concerned that it is actually people of color, immigrants of color. Is is more problematic than just immigration as a phenomenon. Yeah, like and yeah, I mean, my grandmother,
0: and my grandfather were immigrants from England, right? But I, they, uh, my grandfather was a teacher, my grandmother was an administrator. And did
1: anyone question <laughs> whether, like, by you know, could they be seen as as fully Canadian? Because that's another thing that you you see with Republicans is they're questioning whether uh, that now a majority of Republicans question whether. An immigrant of color could actually be fully American. Or were they
0: seen as like taking away jobs of like qualified Canadian teachers too? Mm, right. I mean, probably a, yeah. It's no, a, they're
1: just enlightening you with the the mother the mother country. They did have an
0: accent. They were very, they sounded very smart. I'm sure. I mean, this is something that's been going around the internet kind of post El Paso that I think is worth bringing mm-hmm. up. Right. Is that like Anders Breivik, the like the Norwegian guy who like killed 80 people, like his political manifesto, like his essentially the, the stuff he brought up about great replacement theory has essentially like 10, 12 years later, whenever that happened, Jesus, I don't even want yeah. to think about how long ago yeah. that happened. That has become like de facto internalized politics for like the right wing in North mm-hmm. America. And, 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 and not just like white supremacist fringe right but like great replacement theory permeates um kind of the entire kind of like broad right wing of yeah. like conservative politics in north america
1: i mean now that the, and it, and it's and it's growing like i've noticed that it's in the in this survey it seemed like it was uh and since 2013 that that consensus that that sort of idea which was yeah like you said was fringe is now consensus and 60% of republicans along you know, the same um in in a uh, similar survey uh, said that um, that the the prospect which is well likely to come to pass in the next 20 to 30 years of the United States becoming a majority minority nation is a negative thing so outright racism i mean there's no other, what else could you possibly call it
0: well that the ideology behind this has inspired so many mass shooters
1: oh, right God. and yeah, that, and that, there's that. This, yeah. this
0: is a violent organized international political movement right. that you know i mean everyone kind of every every you know everyone tore their hair out after 9/11 happened about you know wahhabism and, and violent islam this is it killed more people it killed more mm-hmm. people in north america already and and is um like happening right now
1: right yeah <laughs> yeah and, and, and i don't see any ch- like new departments of like homeland security being <laughs> yeah. created to curb no in fact the trump administration has done the opposite right they've they've refocused some of their attention towards domestic terrorism towards international terrorism even <laughs> though domestic terrorism white domestic terrorism is clearly a bigger killer <laughs> yes all right
0: uh thank you for that real cheery sundry <laughs> <laughs> I have something, I mean, I, I, this one is, a, if, if not fun, it, it is at least, um, I at least get to feel good about a bad person getting some come up comeuppance. <laughs> um, it's broke late on Friday afternoon, early evening, from a reporter named Sean Craig, who's on Twitter, it is at SDBCraig. He essentially broke the, the news that Leisha Corbella, longtime post-media columnist based in Calgary, is in fact a card carrying member of the UCP and voted for presumably Jason Kenny in the last election.
1: Did you did you hear about this? Uh, you told me about it and I did she not like did she not h- disclose that at all? Like, there was in- uh,
0: absolutely no disclosure to her readers or to her employer <sighs> about the fact that she was a card carrying partisan. Uh, and then, I mean, not only was she a card carrying partisan, but she, I mean, if you have the displeasure of reading her stuff and we have read out uh, multiple sections of Leisha crevela's uh, yeah. terrible dog shit articles mm-hmm. on this podcast. Um, she is, I mean, it's not a surprise that she's a card carrying UCP mm-hmm. member. Right. Um as she is an enthusiastic bootlicker of jason kenney and conservatism and capital in general but like you know you gotta like you, if you're gonna buy a membership like there are still some journalistic norms and standards that do exist and one of them is 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 like disclosing disclosing if disclosing like, if there's a of conflict things. of interest yeah right? yeah right like if you're a if you're going to the point of buying a membership in a political party and voting for a political particular person to be that leader you're clearly invested in this person succeeding and to then write years and years of articles, um, licking Jason Kenny's boots and going after Rachel Notley and the Alberta NDP without telling people is a gross, um,
1: you know, just a gross, gross thing to do. How did, do you, do you know how, it how, it how did they find out? Uh,
0: I don't know. Sean yeah. Craig's article. Yeah, Sean, I know Sean Craig is working on an article. Yeah. It's supposed to be coming out very soon. Uh-huh. So keep your eyeballs peeled on that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, she hasn't denied it. The Calgary Herald put out a message to their readers, a little uh-huh. like eighty-word statement that was uh-huh. buried on a two of of the Calgary Herald on Saturday this this last Saturday. It yeah. said, "By the way, Alicia Corbella did this thing." Um, so that I mean, that's presumably all of the consequences that she's going to face. But yeah. per, but I mean, I'm not I'm not super hopeful that Post Media is actually going to do anything. Well, yeah, I
1: mean, the, how, how often do they're like with other parties, have they had uh, reporters or, or writers uh, disclose?
0: I mean, there was this there was this example that was getting brought up on Twitter of of some I don't even remember this was like ten or twelve years ago during stelmac of some post media person getting fired just for like uh, like running talking points by the premier's office or something. Uh, I mean, we're clearly well past right, that at yeah. this stage, uh. but. Uh, but anyways, it's rotten, Shame. it's gross. Post-media, burn post-media to the ground. Yeah. Alicia Carabella, retire. And um, <laughs> and I think that, that that's the end of, of that sundry. <laughs> Um, I think that's it for this episode of the progress report. I want to thank you so much for coming in, Russell. I want to thank everyone who, uh, who's listening and who made it all the way to the end. If you do like this show, please take a minute to leave a five-star review and a generous blurb. This really does help us pick up new subscribers. If you have any notes, thoughts, comments, death threats,
1: you know, constructive criticism, <laughs> send them to Duncan, not to me.
0: Yes, please send them to me. I'm on Twitter at Duncan Kinney and, uh, but you can reach me by email at Duncan K at What's the best way for people to find you online, Russell?
1: Um, well, you can. I, I, I'm more of a lurker on Twitter, but hey, still follow me anyway. Uh, scissor tail, and by the way, scissor tail, scissor tail, flycatcher. That's a state bird of Oklahoma. So, I am scissor tail seventy four.
0: Okay, it's not some like weird sex thing. It's like a bird.
1: Uh, well, you don't know, Duncan. All right, all right. Okay, I'm good. not you, you. Maybe you'll find out someday.
0: <laughs> and and I, I do want you to and and take a second to plug your book, your upcoming book.
1: Again. Oh yeah, and and please, um, I'm really looking forward to to all the discussions going to come out about. Alberta and beyond um, <clears throat> with my book on Oklahoma. There is a little chapter actually about the uh, the immigrants uh, from Oklahoma that ended up in Alberta, the black, uh, the Exodusters. Anyway, that book is called The Great Oklahoma Swindle, Race, Religion, and Lies, and America's Weirdest State. And that drops March 1, 2020.
0: Okay. Thanks so much, Russell, for coming in. Thanks so much to Cosmic Family Communist for our amazing theme. And goodbye. Yeah, Thanks. sweeping down the plain and the waving wheat can sure smell sweet when the wind comes right behind the rain oh, la homer every night my honey lamb and i sit alone and talk and watch our hawk making lazy circles in the sky we know we belong to the land and the land we when we say yes! I, I, I yeah," we're only saying you're doing fine, Oklahoma,
1: Oklahoma, okay.